If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi and welcome. I'm glad you're here and I'd like you to introduce yourself. Let us know the age of your child and how long it's been since they were diagnosed and then what brings you on the show. My daughter was diagnosed at 13 months old. She is going to be four in about two weeks. So um, we're about to hit our three-year anniversary next month. Okay, great. So very young diagnosis, right? Very hard. Yes. Yes. So tell me what brings you here. You know, that we have a lot going on. We recently started a preschool, a full-time preschool with her. Um, So there's some concerns that I have sort of with that. Um, and she has some separation anxiety and I'm mm-hmm. having some difficulty separating out what is related to the diabetes, if anything, and how to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also because of the diabetes, I have some difficulty with just the sort of regular toddler stuff, the the tantrums and different things, trying to distinguish what is something that I can just sort of expect and be okay with and that's fine because she's a toddler and this is what happens versus oh no something is medically wrong and I need to help her Mm -hmm. have to do something about it Mm -hmm. um because that's also a difficult uh piece for for me Mm -hmm. is this your only child is she your only child okay okay so where do you want to start? It sounds like it sounds to me like a lot of this is in the realm of, you know, you're a first time parent, right? Which is always a challenge because <laughs> we're always saying, what do I do here? Do I set a limit here or do I not set a limit here? How do I set a limit here? Like, what is appropriate? Like, is this developmental? Is this like out of line? Is this hunger? Is this tiredness? Like, what is this? Those constant right. ants. Right. And then you add diabetes on top of that. And it is a unique set of challenges to have very little people with diabetes. And she was diagnosed really young. So the unfortunate thing about that, I think, is that this is sort of more in my observation, is that the younger children are diagnosed, not just the harder it is, but I think that anxiety carries forward more. Right. So it's I would totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. So you have an extra task, it seems to me, that like I have less of with, I mean, my daughter was diagnosed at four, but that was my second diagnosis. So already it was really different, but my son was diagnosed at nine. So I wasn't carrying the, the baby anxiety of diabetes with me right through his story. It's really different, I think. Yeah. So am I describing what the outline is of what your challenges are? Does that feel like I've got that? Yeah, I think so. I, and for me, all of these decisions are very fraught, particularly mm-hmm. because of the diabetes. So mm-hmm. I worry about, you know, all of the regular diabetes things. Is she in range? Is mm-hmm. this going to be okay? All of that. But then all all of these other pieces 
that are maybe unrelated or maybe are related, it feels like every decision is life or death. I mean, not to that degree, but sort of, I feel mm-hmm. a lot of pressure around every sort of decision and, and um, choice that I make around her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a really pressured sense that every decision you make is really critical. So there's no right. room for error. Right. And there is a lot of error as sure, of course. <laughs> as life is. <laughs> because not only do you have diabetes here, you have a toddler or she's a preschooler, a late preschooler, right? Yeah. So tell me what would happen if that part weren't there. If that part weren't there screaming at you saying every decision is critical, what would what do you imagine would happen? I don't know. I I know that I'm a worrier. Mm-hmm. Um, when before our diagnosis, I was worried about her speech because she had been, you know, not as productive at speech as one is around that time, and I was very concerned. And should I be doing more, et cetera, et cetera? And then we got diabetes, and everything else fell away. It was like it doesn't matter, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, like she became, she's like very extremely verbal clearly that was something I didn't necessarily need to worry about now to be fair we we had some interventions but I don't think it was that was what made it I think that's just who she is and I was anxious and I probably didn't need to be um so I'm not 100% sure that if it wasn't that that wasn't there I wouldn't still be worried I guess Mm -hmm. if that makes sense um but it would make, I think it would make things easier. I do see other parents and sometimes just the jealousy and the anger hits me really hard because I see them like, you know, their kid comes up and says, I'm hungry. And they pull out goldfish crackers and fruit snacks and a juice box. And they're like, what would you like, honey? And the kid is like, I'll take this. And then they eat a little and then they run away and then they come back and then they eat it. And they don't have to think so much about all of the small choices mm-hmm. um, because they don't really matter, mm-hmm. but we don't have that. Yeah. And that's real and really heightened by the fact that you're a self-described worrier, right? Yeah. So it feels like you're trying really hard. I mean, being a worrier means that you're generally worriers tend to overthink and catastrophize a little bit, right? Am I getting that? I would say that that you are very accurate. (laughs) So, so those small decisions, you don't have any flexibility around them, right? Because everything feels so critical. Right. So I think I want to try to ask this question again and see what comes because it feels important to me and I want to ask it slightly differently. So if you didn't have the part that says every decision is really pressured, what you answered was our life would look calmer. What I want to know is what would happen inside you that would be different? What what would it be? What would the interior of you be like if that part that comes up and says, it's all mission critical, alert, alert. If that weren't there, what would it be like inside you? Quieter. Uh And what would that be like if it were quieter? I mean, that would be good. I would... I would like that. Um, yeah, 
because that that's always yelling at me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. telling me that I have to pay attention and make the right choice and worry about it and make sure that it's that I've done all the research and I've checked out all the potential options and I've thought through all the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So that part of you gets really busy researching, taking care of everything, making sure you're super well informed, not making a single mistake, not leading anything to chance. Am I getting this right? Right. And then it's also paired with the, excuse me, it's also paired with the beating oneself up after mm-hmm. it doesn't go right. And mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. should have done more, mm-hmm. made a better decision or known better, whatever. Mm-hmm. Researched more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Listen to all the podcasts and done all the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you came in with real questions about separation anxiety for your daughter, about um, starting this new preschool, about difficulty with toddler stuff, about not knowing like, is this, and I'm, I'm going to up her for preschool or stuff rather than toddler because she's a little past that, right? Versus is it medical? How is diabetes involved? What does this mean? And I'm kind of seeing that there's a different path here, right? That's all important stuff. And certainly we can talk about it, but I feel like there's a different path here. That's about you figuring out how to manage this very anxious yelling at you part. It's pretty loud in there. It's saying, do it right, do it right, do it right. Here's how you do it right. You spend a lot of time, you work at it. And if you get it wrong, then I'm going to beat you up more. It's a very loud part right? And it's making it harder for you to see clearly that I'm guessing, honestly, that the interventions you're doing are lovely, that they're appropriate, that your daughter's not taking them up right away, right? Like I'm making a story here. I don't really know, but she has some separation anxiety and all you're doing all the right things and it's not quieting quickly. Okay. That's normal too. I'm sorry. Can I send a quick text to the preschool? Yep. I missed that text. And so of course she's going to get a very delayed bolus, which Mm -hmm. is going to mean very high, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So Mm -hmm. there you go. There's, there's your example right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But part of it is what are you saying to yourself about it? Right. Because diabetes does that. We're not going to catch everything with diabetes. This is where like, I think social media does us a disservice right? Is that everyone shows pictures of their perfectly in-range child, making it seem like that's completely possible. And actually it is possible if that's all you do. If you aren't on the phone with me when the text comes in and so you don't get distracted, you don't have a job, it is a hundred percent what you do diabetes and you live your whole life focused on that, which frankly feels like a misery. It's living your life for diabetes rather than doing diabetes so you can live your life. Sure. If you do that, you can get an A plus in diabetes. The question is like, at what cost to the quality of everyone's life? So when you make decisions to be a whole person, right, to have a life that's not just diabetes, right, because you also could go sit at school all day and manage numbers. People do things like that, especially at the beginnings of diagnosis, right? I did that for the first week. Yeah. Yeah, of course. We all have done that. But you could choose to do it more because you could say this is the most important thing. So somehow in not choosing that, you've said there are other parts of my life that are important too. We need normalcy. My daughter needs normalcy. She needs time without me. I need normalcy. I need time without her, (laughs) right? I need my job. I need the rest of my life. So you're already kind of making that choice. 
So how do you forgive yourself when things aren't perfect? When just diabetes happens and you don't, you miss the bolus timing and she goes a little high and she's a little cranky because of it or whatever she is. Cause at four, I know my daughter was, we used to say she's mean as a snake when she got high, she was really awful. Um, and just knowing that that's part of what it is, that the flexibility um, has a cost, but that it's more important than making diabetes the main focus or the only focus. It's still, it's still a big focus, right? But it's not the only focus. Yeah, although I think it's a, it's a major, it might be close to the only focus for me, which is doubly why I feel guilty that I'm not getting a plus of diabetes, right? Because I'm not, I am thinking about it all the time and talking about it all the time with my husband and with, mm-hmm. you know, others and, and I'm still, we're still getting, you know, we had a roller coaster today that was just mm-hmm. a mess. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like if I am, I mean, I, I'm actually on leave this year because last year was such a disaster that we, I needed to make sure I could mm-hmm. make things a little work a little more. And even with all this, I'm still not doing it the, at the level I would want to for her health and mm-hmm. et cetera. Well, let's back up to for her health, right? Because um, the research shows that out of range, high numbers don't affect anything about children before puberty. So there's no for her health here, right? You're, I'm not saying unclip your diabetes seatbelt. I never would say that, right? You want her in range as much as you can. It's a good practice, if nothing else. But if she scoots out of range because you bolus her a little bit late, it is not going to affect her health. It might affect her mood, right? It might affect your sense of well-being, but it's not going to affect her health. You have a bunch of years till you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is that for me to say? I, um, I, so my brain says, well, is that really because they did the studies and they saw that? Or is it because nobody's done the studies and so there's no evidence that it does affect? I think they've done the studies, but I don't know for sure. Right. For me, this is secondhand data. I haven't read the studies. It's just data that I know from people who have told me. Right. right. So, but what if it were true? What I if mean, it's if it were true, true? That would be great. Right. What if she's, it's true that if she's 200 or 300 for a few hours every day, it's not going to be massively, it's not going to affect massively her lifetime of health. That would be a relief. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because what the studies do show is that, um, most people, uh, average A1C by age, uh, is not anywhere near what is recommended. So the only group that makes its target A1C on average is the over 70 crowd. Nobody else. Among diabetics, you mean? Among type ones. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And it doesn't necessarily correspond to horrible medical outcomes right? So while there are still risks with type one, the risks of the really bad things 
are very, very significantly lower than they were in like the late 70s. Um, to the point where it's almost not worth thinking about, especially with the kind of technology that we have. And I assume your daughter is on a pump and on a CGM, right? So I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying unclip your diabetes seatbelt, but the research doesn't really support the level of worry that most parents have. And, and I have worked with adults with type one who have complications. When I look at most of them, not all of them, but most of them, and this is like anecdotal, right? This is my experience. Most of them have the kind of complications that strike me as coming with age, not that strike me as coming with diabetes. So they're they're diabetes related, but they're kind of about aging. <laughs> they're not, and I can't even remember what they were. And occasionally I've run into someone who really has a lot of trouble. But I think that um, there, there's some thought that there's a genetic component to that. It's not really fully understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm giving you some data to reassure, right? But I also hear that you kind of have a very deep groove and pathway that gets really anxious and that relies on that anxiety to kind of um, move you forward in researching and taking good care of everyone. And I feel like that seems problematic to me for you. And and frankly, for your daughter, right? Because it's not, it's not ultimately good for her to have a mom who is so anxious. Or for me to feel guilty about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To feel guilty about being anxious? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, that doesn't help either, right? No, I know. Yeah, the question I is, know. what help is there for you around it? Like, how do you try to help yourself with that very loud part of you that says, you have to do it right? I mean, I'm I'm on leave now, which is mm -hmm. part of me trying to give myself some space. Mm -hmm. um, my child's in childcare, even though I'm not working right now, mm -hmm. uh, so that I can, I mean... A lot of it is we want her to be around other kids and learn mm -hmm. how to play and do all that stuff because she's an only child who was raised during the pandemic. So she, mm -hmm. she has none mm -hmm. of that. Um, yep. But all, some of it is also so that I can have some time. Um, although I spend most of my time monitoring and sending texts to the teachers and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of it. I mean, even without the worrying, the diabetes gets in the way. You know, we've had... We've had, last night we were up with tons of lows because we just kept getting these sticky lows. And so uh, we're not getting enough sleep mm -hmm. because of the separation anxiety and the associated, you know, night terrors and the wakings and all of that. And then on the night that she doesn't do that, we have all these lows. So mm -hmm. that makes it, that, that also makes it hard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, there's a lot to tackle here. That's what I'm hearing. And um, I think you deserve more support. I really do. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices you want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type one, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. 
Sign up for it at diabetessweettalk.com. So I definitely think that my Sweet Talk courses could be helpful, but I think you also deserve more support than that, right? Like, I don't know exactly what that would be, but it strikes me that you getting some help could really help affect the system if you could get some help that helped you quiet your anxiety. Because I'm not sure, honestly, that you taking a leave and sitting watching the monitor is gonna help with that. In fact, I think it might heighten that so I'm concerned for you and for your mental health and well-being that this is becoming the primary focus. I'm not saying that it's not very typical for mothers in particular to step back off of some piece of work in order to monitor their kids because it is next to impossible to do all the things when your children especially are this young. So I don't want you to think that I'm like throwing you under the bus and saying you're doing this wrong. I'm really not. And like one thing I'll do in my courses with parents is work with them on looking less, right? Because there's something kind of obsessive about, you know, the looking, 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 that isn't good for our mental health. And the question is how, you know, again, this is the, this is the underbelly of the technology, just like there's an underbelly to social media. Like when my son was diagnosed, there was no technology. <laughs> so we did finger sticks and he had to know when he felt low. Now he wasn't four, right? Right. That is really different, but it's not going to change minute to minute fast enough that you can't have a response that's adequate, right? And right now you're operating from a place of believing that that's so. And that's the thing I want to help you with, or I want you to get help with, right? Because it's not, it's not her diabetes really per se. It's your relationship to it that's really hard, right? And I think that when you start to work with that anxiety, you'll see changes in other places. Like it, ha it will have an effect, a cascading effect in your family. Mm -hmm. That's my best guess. I want to pause and see how that lands though, because that's hard news, right? That's me saying, yeah, you deserve more than this. This, is, this could be easier for you. Yeah, I mean... I imagine that you are right, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What feels hard about it? I mean, I ha I have a therapist and I work on some of this stuff and uh, it's not an easy fix, I mm -hmm. guess. I think that's um, true. I think particularly that's with the diabetes for me, mm -hmm. you know, I, cause I, I'm, this is not a new issue for me, the worrying and the yeah, anxiety. Yeah. Um, but the, and in some cases, it wasn't life or death, but mm -hmm. in this case, it can be. Mm -hmm. I know it's not every minute, but it can be. Mm -hmm. And it's not about me. It's about someone that I'm responsible for that I, you know, adore, right? So it makes it even more of a difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so again, I think my courses could be helpful, but I also think, and I'm seeing you're wearing a friends for life t-shirt. I think immersing yeah. yourself in environments like that, where there's education for parents about the realities of on the ground um, research about what people are finding about diabetes you know, the person who started Friends for Life 
uh, I had a conversation with him at one point and he, he was the one who gave me this language. Like, are you doing diabetes um, to live your life or are you doing your life to live, to do diabetes? Right. And there are, there is so much evidence that people can live long and healthy lives with this. And somehow that evidence isn't getting in for you right? You have a very strong alarm system that's saying, and I think it's a deep groove, right? You said I, I was dealing with anxiety before. Yep. And this is where it's gotten really looped for you. It's like a kinked intestine almost. It's so painful, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think helping to feed the part that can reassure you, that can say, yep, it's not a disaster, because honestly, it's really not life or death. It's not. There are going to be lows that are scary, they're going to be highs that are scary, but the the majority of people manage this without it being life or death. I'm not saying there aren't going to be moments where they wish it didn't happen that way, right? So being prepared for those things is really important, right? Knowing how to deal with a scary low is really important. Having tools in your tool belt to deal with all these things, but to to switch off that thinking, right? Because I think again, I think social media. Um, feeds that thinking that like it's life or death. I'm not saying it's not scary. I have two kids with diabetes. I lose plenty of sleep, (laughs) but um, last night is a perfect example, but, but part of it is how do we stay calm? How do we quiet the voices of those parts of us that are really in a high state of alarm? How do we reassure them? How do we recognize them and not let them run the show? Right. How does this feel? I mean, I, like I said, I, I think you're right. It, it feels difficult. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But not not, not wrong. That's <laughs> for sure. No. Uh huh. Okay. Is there anything else that's specific that you want to ask? Yeah, I'd love to ask about the. So we're trying to do some extinction behavioral stuff with mm-hmm. her about some of the separation. You know, the not wanting to go to bed because mm-hmm. she wants to be around us. And so she mm-hmm. has all these behaviors. Um, and in the morning, same thing, not wanting to get ready for school. And so she's mm-hmm. making all these behaviors. And so we're we're talking to a, um, a child therapist and trying to do some extinction training stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a little concerned about the how to know when how hard to toe that line when there's diabetes involved mm-hmm. particularly in the mornings if i'm trying to give her insulin and then also get it in in time a little bit in in time so she can have breakfast mm-hmm. and not go through the roof mm-hmm. but also you're supposed to just wait it out right you're supposed to essentially be like it's time to put on your pants it's time to put on your pants and wait essentially not respond to their their attempts at um, coming up with reasons why they want to delay. And so I guess, yeah, I, I don't, I guess I don't really have a specific question other than I'm trying to figure out how to balance those mm-hmm. um, and how to know when it's, when the diabetes makes it so that you, so that it becomes something that you have to deal with right away as opposed to, Mm-hmm. ignoring and delay and letting them letting it delay mm-hmm. 
So I just want to make sure I'm understanding the scenario here. So what I'm hearing is that there's a situation with your daughter where she's delaying, like getting dressed for school or something, right? Yeah, and all, this, all, every single piece of getting ready uh-huh. for school. Yeah. Okay. So the person you're working with is recommending ignoring those behaviors so that she actually has to get ready, like not feeding into it, not talking to her about it. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, not like... Like if she wants to choose her, we offer her pants and she says, I don't want any of those pants. And then we say, okay, well then this pants. No, I don't want those pants. I want mm-hmm. these other pants. And then you give her those pants. And she says, no, I don't want those pants. Mm-hmm. I want these Got other it. pants. And so you're supposed to basically be like, you know, either pick, it's time to pick pants and put them mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. or these are the pants. Cause you didn't pick. So here are the pants mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that can, the other night we did our first trial of this around going to bed and brushing teeth because she, mm-hmm. you know, does all these things to try to avoid brushing teeth. Mm-hmm. It's time to brush teeth. Mm-hmm. And that was a standoff for an hour and a half. And because she's a very strong-willed child, which I'm proud of her for having, knowing who she is and what she wants, but also it, it can be a lot. And so that was less of a concern because dinner was over and I could sort of, let it play out mm-hmm. but in the mornings I, I I don't have that luxury so lately I've been not bolusing her until I know she's gonna eat and mm-hmm. then it's mm-hmm. we're going to 400 every morning and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so yep so what you need to keep in mind is that you can only tackle one piece at a time here and the piece that found, sounds very important to tackle honestly more important than the 400 is this piece of her knowing what the boundaries are. Because honestly, if she runs the show at four, you're going to have big problems when she's older. And so Mm -hmm. you're very wise, very wise to make sure you win these battles now, right? So that she knows that you're in charge. And and for young children, especially actually, being the person in charge as a young person is terrifying right? Imagine what it is to be four and you run the show. That is not a good picture for you inside yourself. You might seem like you love it, but it's not safe. And so you are actually creating safety by insisting consistently over and over that these are the rules and this is the way it needs to go, right? That she actually needs to listen, that that, that honestly her listening and learning how to take uh, direction is going to provide 10,000 positive outcomes for her over the course of her life, right? So that is what you are tackling right now. And she'll live through the 400s. It's fine. You'll tackle that next. Once you've got it, so she puts her pants on, then you will deal with bolusing her in a more appropriate way. It's temporary, right? This is a two-month, three-month, five-month, six-month process, whatever it is, till when she knows how to get her pants on in the morning, that's what you're doing. And then you'll deal with the diabetes later. Right? That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Well, I think those were my my main, my big ones. Yeah, good. How did that all feel coming on at getting all of this? The end piece about the waiting, taking things one step at a time and allowing the high blood sugars essentially for this situation to deal with the one thing was, was a a bit of a relief. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
to think about it that way. Good. Yeah, what I want to add to that is I think you already know, right? You're getting help because you know this is a problem. You know that this is not the kind of relationship that she should have to herself or to you. And so trust yourself. It's okay to trust yourself, even unresearched, right? It sounds like you know you're smart enough, you're thoughtful enough, it's good enough. You're figuring it out, right? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Take care. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type one, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.